This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. In Samantha M. Bailey's debut thriller, Woman on the Edge, a mother hands her infant daughter to a stranger before falling to her death in front of a subway train. That is, the woman given the child claims they've never met, but there is enough evidence to prove otherwise. If she's lying, it's because she has a lot to gain, the child she's always wanted, and access to the fortune the child will one day inherit. In other words, Woman on the Edge has all the right elements for a taut, breakneck, domestic thriller. Sam and I discuss how the concept for her novel came to her and why the book's plot hits home with so many women. And having personally known Sam since Woman on the Edge began its journey to publication, if you're an aspiring author seeking insights and inspiration, our discussion on that process is one you won't want to miss. So great to have you here with me, Sam. Thank you, Josie Brown. <laughs> well, thank you, Samantha M. Bailey, for making my day today. Oh, oh this is this is one of my closest friends. She's like, oh my God, this is such joy. <laughs> it was so great to read your book, which I had been like, so, you know, you had kept it from me, Sam. You had kept it from me. <laughs> No. Well, okay. That's yes. You, you heard chapters and snippets and I mean, you were there from the moment it was a seed of an idea, but yes, I kept it from everyone from my, except my critique partners until the, like, until it was ready, until it was done. Right. Right. And I'm, you know, in one respect, I'm glad you did because to read it like fully and completely and 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 just so uh, you know movingly, you know it moved me not just because of the fact that you're a dear close friend, but also because it, it was such a good story. I, I think you had you know all the elements that are needed for a marvelous thriller. I mean, w- woman on the edge was every mother's nightmare and you know it i mean you're a mom and (laughs) i mean here you have these you know these two wonderful protagonists i mean um you know nicole the mom who who jumps and just before that she hands her infant baby quinn to a total stranger or you know is she a stranger and you know that's morgan and you know, Nicole's is done as a flashback, whereas with Morgan, it's working in real time. So, uh, you know, my first question, and I know you, I know you've heard it a million times, but it has to be asked for people listening and for the reader. You know, how the heck did you come up with this wonderful plot? Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks to public transit <laughs> and and a few youth. Um, it was honestly luck and timing. I think for me, uh, my best ideas come when I'm not trying so hard to find them. Uh, and I think as writers, you know, I'm sure you would say the same, that everything can become a story. So wherever we are, we're watching people, we're listening, you know, we're, we're really paying attention to the nuances that other people may not notice. So six years ago, I was on a Toronto subway platform. And I, you know, was waiting for the for the train to come, and I saw a a woman holding her newborn, 
and she was standing very close to the edge. And I, I already, you know, was, would stand very close to the wall because the platforms are very, very narrow with no barriers here. And, um, now I hug the wall, but <laughs> standing very close, <laughs> very close to the edge. And, you know, she looked tired and she looked frazzled as all new moms I know do. And as I did with my own two kids, and I'm sure as you did with your two kids. And I, as I was watching her, I honestly, like a lightning bolt, the idea just came to me and I thought, what if? And so I took an empty gum pack out of my really messy purse and I scribbled the premise down uh, while waiting for the train and the train came and we all got in the train and the mother was holding her baby and she seemed very content and I realized I was projecting all my own fears, you know, onto this poor woman. Um, and then I went home immediately uh, and started writing it. Wow. Wow. You know, what's so funny about, you know, everything you've said, yeah, I will be walking down the street and I'll overhear a conversation, you know, how people talk on their cell phones and you can overhear everything, you know, or you're on public transit and you overhear, or you, you're in a restaurant and the person in the next booth is, you know, reaming out her boyfriend or is telling her girlfriend some big confidence and you're going, Oh yeah, I can use that. I can use that. So I can, exactly. I can certainly see that. And also, and I, also I was, well, I was going to say that I speak really loudly on cell phones because I feel like nobody, I'm like a hundred or year old when I'm on a cell phone. I still don't know how to use it properly. So I'm wondering how many writers are listening to me screaming into my cell phone in a public place and, you know, scribbling that idea down. Right, right. You're, you know, that's why I speak in code. Like I'll be walking with another writer friend. We used to walk all the time together and we would, we wouldn't like to say the titles of our works in progress. We would, or we would just say, the part where blah, blah. And, you know, we would know what each other are talking about, but you know, it's like, you don't know who's, who's walking beside you really. Exactly. So, you know, exactly. or why they're listening or, or whatever. And when I think of Nicole, you've got her as a, as a pretty successful entrepreneur and she really loves this baby, wanted this baby, despite her husband's reticence about it. And I don't think there is a mom who hasn't felt the experience of motherhood that it hasn't changed their life like fully and totally and completely. Yet in Nicole's case, the joy of motherhood is mixed with a growing sense of dread because of a previous experience that she had with an infant when she was a teen. And I feel it's a pivotal plot point in your book. How did you decide this is something that had to happen as the catalyst or the thrust of the story? So from the very beginning, when I was writing it, I knew I wanted to include postpartum depression. At that time, there was little fiction about um, postpartum depression. Since, since then, there, there, there have been, and um, for some reason, the only one right now that comes to mind is Little Voices by Vanessa Lilly, which is... Excellent. Absolutely excellent. But I knew at that time, and, and even now, even if there is more fiction out there, it still needs to be talked about. It still needs to be written about. I myself did not experience postpartum depression. However, I have very close friends who, who did, who were so open and so willing to share their stories. And I witnessed it firsthand. I would be there, you know, on, on the phone with their houses. I would see their struggle, their fear, their shame, their fear of judgment how lonely and isolated they felt despite doctors, family support, public health. 
all the available support that they had, they couldn't reach out for us because they were so afraid to tell anyone how they were feeling. Right. And so many women go through this. I did, though. I did experience, you know, fear and worry and anxiety. I, I to this day, remember, uh, you know, especially with my, my first child, my son, um, checking to see if he was breathing, uh, obsessively making sleep and food schedules. Oh, my God, Google. If, I, I must have been on Google. He sneezed, and I'd be like, oh, my God, hospital. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, there's so much responsibility, sudden responsibility, along with the joy and the overwhelming love, the almost exquisite pain of that love for your child. It is such a shocking life change. And I think particularly for high achievers, particularly for someone like Nicole, who is so accomplished. I mean, she founded her own athleisure wear company, took it public at the age of you know, 36 years old, she's extremely successful, extremely powerful. So to go from that life to being home with, you know, a baby, it's just so shocking that I, I knew, I knew immediately that it was a story I wanted to tell. And I have to say, one of the things that means the most to me are the readers who reach out to me and tell me that they felt I dealt with it very sensitively, that I didn't sensationalize it just for the sake of a plot point. And that they could see themselves because they themselves went through it. Right. And so for them, it really uh, meant a lot to them to see a, a storyline of, of of their own in yeah. this book. And so that that it means the world to me that I did as uh, best as I could with that storyline. You touched uh, you touched a vein. You know, you touched a very sensitive vein in a lot of women. You know, the fear of motherhood and the fear of being a good mother or being a bad mother for that. Right. Matter. And, you know, the pressure of that, particularly, I think, in this day and age where, you know, everyone can be so judgmental without even knowing you. As we even see in Morgan's life, you know, Morgan has a different story being a counselor by profession and then having her whole life upended and her reputation tainted by uh, the financial scandal that perpetrated, that was perpetrated by her husband. I mean, in your plot, Morgan already had a lot of barriers from the get-go. The way you've written it, the reader doesn't know whether to believe her side of the story as to, you know, why this baby was thrust into her arms and, what, you know, what she feels about this baby because, you know, his suicide clouds how the press and the police investigator who handled that case of his death and his financial dealings, it made her a suspect too. So I'm glad that you brought these two very complex characters in a place and a time where the reader doesn't know who to believe. What was the hardest thing for you in keeping up dual points of views? You know, you've got one moving forward and the other one kind of not moving backward, but starting further back in the story. Um, the most difficult thing for me is any kind of mathematical calculation. So that just does that <laughs> is, is, you know, any time where I'd have to figure out that just the timeline itself is difficult because I can calculate it, but I'm always going to get it wrong. So thank God for my, my editors, who you know, afterwards would go in there and, 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 you know, clean that up because that just itself, you know, on a small scale was trying to make sure that the days were matching up or, or the weeks or whatever it was. So that was difficult for me. In terms of their perspective, 
it wasn't hard for me to separate their stories because to me, they were so entirely different, such different women, although they had parallels to them, absolutely. But that wasn't difficult. But I would say getting the chapters ending on one character and making sure that it would flow into what happened, you know, to the character in the next chapter, especially because I had done so many rewrites, I had to make sure that that was consistent and that, you know, the continuity was there. So things like that in the editing process, making sure everything was flowing and the continuity of it, um, that took a great deal of work. Right. What I loved about it was you would, as you say, you know, you're talking in in one one character's POV, and the next scene has a thread of what just happened to that character and drives the next chapter with the other protagonist. And I mean, you kind of dovetailed it beautifully. With Nicole's death, Morgan is once again you know, a suspect. I mean, you know, wrong place, wrong time. But she also has this emotional attachment to the infant and it drives her to discover why Nicole jumped, you know, or if there was foul play because there was too much happening on that platform. And I can understand why the police would want to investigate her, obviously not just because of her past history with them, but because of the scenario itself. And it was discovered that, you know, her yearnings for a child that she never had. Exactly. exactly. So you've done a good job of leaving an open end as to how somebody else could have done it and who these other suspects could have been. You know, we build mysteries. We have to set the scene. And in order to do that, we have to make sure that the reader doesn't jump to a conclusion too fast. We want them shocked at the end. And I think you did a great job of shocking them. And it's because of the cast of characters that you put together. So tell me about your thought process on on those people. So, without spoilers. um, (laughs) No spoilers. Yeah, I will say, so first, I think the present tense timeline takes place basically over a, a week. So for Martinez as a detective, her tunnel vision is understood because it's such a short time period that she is at that point, you know, while she's considering other people, Morgan with her past history and Morgan being on the platform and Morgan yearning for a child, it's easy for me to understand why Martinez is going after her so hard because it's a short timeline. So there's that. And then I think perspective is a theme that I, and you raised it earlier, perspective is something I really wanted to raise in this book. So when you're a suspect, when you're wrongfully accused, it's about perspective. And of course, evidence, people take that evidence and have their own perspective on it. So I needed to do that with each of these characters and flesh them out as much as I could and make each of the characters as complex and have motives that could perhaps lead them to doing what was happening in the book and <laughs> do, you know, the wrongdoings. Each character in that book had a motive. Yeah. Um, and you have a, a character and, that goes back in uh, Nicole's past. You have, yes. you know, a husband who 
is reticent about, you know, how she, she runs her business and what she's doing. You've got even her best friend kind of doubts her paranoias about motherhood. Um, and all of these people could or could not be part of her paranoia. And also she's got a brother who she's sort of estranged from, but at the same time, you know, he's somebody well-known in the community, you know, and this is someone who comes to play in Morgan's life too. So, so you've got that wonderful thread right there. Yes. I, and I wanted, you know, people are complex, so everybody has layers and that I really did want to show that. And I feel like the characters go from those that are from the darkest side of humanity to the best side of humanity and all the shades in between. So that each character could perhaps be a villain or a hero, depending on how the story plays out. Right. <laughs> Very careful here. Um, and so that was also really important to me to show, though, how many sides of one person there are, how evidence shown on one person can change your perspective on them completely. Right. You know, especially with Morgan. You know, you have the public believing her to be one way. You have her explaining how she is another way. And then, so what do you believe? Do you believe her perspective of it? Do you believe the public perspective of it? With Nicole, too, you know, what she feels is happening in her life. Is it really happening? Right. And um, one thing that a, a good writer always does is tie up all the loose ends. And I thought you did so beautifully, even to the last page, because the reader also has their point of view as they're reading the book. But they have to wait till that last page to see how it really all played out. I want to commend you for, for doing that, for taking the time to make sure that all, all the ends were tied up. And I was literally, I didn't know who to believe until then. You know, you have a great resolution chapter prior to our last view into Nicole's mind. As you know, I'm a huge reader. I was a huge fan of, you know, yours before we even met. Um, all the authors that I've read and everything I've learned over the years, not only that I've been writing, but since I was a kid, all the books that I've been reading, I think, helped me do that. And then, of course, all the people who helped shape this book. It wasn't, you know, just me sitting there and saying, all right, I've written this ending and, oh, I'm awesome. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> no, it was, it was my acknowledgments for six pages long for a reason. It was, you know, a huge, huge community of people who helped shape every aspect of this book into what it, it is now, into something that became my, my labor of love. So thank, thank you very, very much for saying that. As a mother... What was the hardest part about writing this story? I would say two things, simply just the, the juggle. So my daughter, when I started writing, Woman on the Edge, was three and a half, and my son was six and a half. So little. They were little. And trying to find time to do that right. um, was certainly difficult. And actually, you know, I used to be a, a night owl and I would stay up really late. Well, you know me, I would stay up really late and I'd wake up, you know, whenever I had to. 
But I very, very recently started waking up at 5 or 6 a.m. Wow. Especially now. Yeah, this is thanks to Karma Brown, who uh, Recipe for a Perfect Wife, which is also a um, bestseller in Canada. You know, this is something that she feels very strongly about. And I fought against her for so long about it. I was like, I need my new time at night. I'm never doing this. And one morning I just did it. And oh my God, it changed everything. I get so much more done. And now that my you know, kids are here <laughs> all the time. It gives me uh, a space all of my own. Right. Nobody else is awake. So that, I would say, is, is one thing. And then, as a writer, you immerse yourself in your characters. And so, of course, these are characters going through some very traumatic, difficult, emotional, frightening events. And so separating my writing brain from my mom brain was something I, I had to learn how to do. I had to learn how, when I shut my story down... Then I would leave that and I would focus on my kids, you know, completely so that the story wasn't living inside me at that point. And I wasn't letting it, you know, come into my, my family life because I, I, I'm not my characters and I, I'm not dealing with what they're dealing with. So I definitely had to learn to separate that. But that's hard because sometimes, you know, when you're writing, you'll get ideas, something will spark something. we're always thinking about it. So it is something that's an ongoing learning process to separate and mom me from the the writer. Right, right. You've had a long, hard road to publication. And because this is going to be heard and read by a lot of writers, you know, hearing from you what you felt you did wrong, and just as importantly, because you have been on the bestseller list now for a good while, what you feel you did right. What do you feel are those two things that, you know, might've been better and then, wow, you know, I nailed it on this. What did I do wrong? I'm going to start with that. That's such a good question. (laughs) What did I do wrong? I think, you know, looking back, I was 29 years old when I, 17 years ago, when I first, started writing novels. And I wouldn't say I did it wrong, but I I was naive. Um, My first book that I wrote was a rom-com and I signed with an agent fairly quickly. She was, you know, was in New York and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be off to New York in a few months. And then my debut is going to be on, you know, all the bookshelves and I'm going to be, you know, walking around in my, you know, Manolo Blahniks, like Carrie from Sex and the City. And here we go. Done deal. So, you know, very naive, but understandably so. I think, you know, we all have these moments of, of uh, success that, where we have these wild dreams. And, of course, that didn't happen. But we all go through that. We all go through the, oh, I'm going to be successful now. I'm going to be a successful yes. author. And, and then, yeah, and and then the re- reality comes in. I thought, <laughs> I thought I could afford Manolo Bonnet. Like, you know? <laughs> well, I didn't go that far. <laughs> you know, but in my mind, anyway, so I think, although, you know, that kind of, you know, bright-eyed optimism probably also got me through the rejection to follow. So that book, of course, didn't sell. And then I wrote another one, and that, would, of course, didn't sell. And then... You know, my agents and I amicably parted ways, and I tried to figure out what I was going to do next. And I kept writing, and I was uh, moved on to women's fiction. And I don't think that was wrong at all, because I loved reading it, and I loved writing it. 
wrong, I guess, I guess would just have been the belief that it was going to happen quickly. Um, you know, I can't believe 17 years has gone by. Right. You know, to, like when I think about almost two decades since that time. <laughs> but um, you wrote continually uh, and you and you hammered at it continually. You didn't just like sporadically write. You focused. I did. I mean, I, I was really stubborn. Yeah. And also you have two children. I also, you know, like have two children. So I know what writing is like when you're also raising kids and you're writing in the home, you know, you're not, you know, you you don't have your little office to go to your little office is, is in your home. So that's, that's a process. Yeah. It's a desk shoved up against a a kitchen wall. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 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 But we do what we have to do, right? Because we love this. We want this. It's, it's, it's compulsion. So I think maybe that, what did I do? Right. I just, I kept going, I kept going and, I knew, I think what I knew the most is that this was my own journey. And so no matter what was going on in other authors' lives, I really, really was and am and always will be happy for everyone else's successes. I only see it as motivation. So I, you know, use that to fuel me because if one person's dream can come true, then my dreams can come true also, just in my own way, in my own time, in my own path. So I think that. Maybe what I, I did right too was just to focus on my own path. Right. And just, just to, you know, every provision, every rejection, everything I just said, of course, you know, the initial gut punch, of course, there's a gut punch, but I would just breathe, roll up my sleeves and say, okay, one sentence at a time, you can do this. Wow. Love that. So, because I think it's all we can do. It's all we can do. It's, it's you know, with everything going on now. One day at a time, one hour at a time, it's all we can do. Samantha M. Bailey's Woman on the Edge is in bookstores everywhere. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. 